Yo, yo, yo. Welcome to NS9 Idol. I'm your host, Anthony DiNardo. With me, we got ourselves our two co-host contestants tonight. We got Ethan. We got Jesse. We got the final round. You guys duking it out over here. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. Good to be back. Yeah, it uh, it is. Ethan, you're a little bit under the weather. This is your uh, a little bit. game, huh? In the year 23? Yeah. Uh, mm. I'm uh, doing my contributions early this year, <laughs> getting out of the way early. Getting out the way. There it is. Yep. <clears throat> and Jesse, welcome back. You're uh, you're doing okay, but you're enjoying the nice warm weather in Florida, I assume, right? Sure am. It's been nice the last couple of days. Last what was it? Two weeks ago it was freezing, but the last couple of days have been nice. I have zero complaints right now. 81 degrees today. Yeah, it's hard to complain Gosh. about. That's for sure. <laughs> Even here in PA isn't too bad. It was 57 or something today, which I got no problem with that. Probably yeah, outside right. in shorts and that kind of weather. I, I Yes, I was outside <laughs> in shorts today. Sick and all. He's like, listen, it's 57 yep. degrees. I'm putting on these shorts. Yep. Another three months so I can do it again. But anyways, so let's talk about some things tonight. Um there isn't a whole lot of, I guess, Pirates news per se. None that we haven't really talked about all offseason, <clears throat> Brian Reynolds. But uh, with that said, I mean, a couple things came up. Um, one is Bryce Wilson was traded. The team said, I'm going to give you money to get Bryce Wilson. That was the Brewers today. So I don't know your guys' thoughts on that. Scares me a little bit only because I know the Brewers are very good with pitching. I mean, Bryce Wilson doesn't really have the stuff like that uh, Woodruff or Burns has. But anytime a team that knows how to help a pitcher get pretty good, I don't really like it, to be honest. There, I mean, it's good we got something, but, you know, it scares me a little bit. Yeah, There are a couple spots where you always think when they sign a pitcher, oh, he's, he's going to turn it around and – Milwaukee now, I feel like they're kind of one of those places. And Bryce Wilson, he's in a spot now where Corbin Burns, before he turned it around, he was like way worse than Wilson is now. And now Corbin Burns is a top five at least pitcher in the league. So I'm not forecasting that for Bryce Wilson by any means. But if there's a team in the league that could you know, help Bryce Wilson turn it around, the, the Brewers are pretty high on the list, I think. Yeah. The only difference is that Burns had stuff. Because even if he wouldn't have made it in the rotation, mm. he could have at least been a good back end uh, yeah. reliever. You know what I mean? Bryce Wilson throws a 91-mile-an-hour fastball and a splitter. It moves, doesn't though. scare me too much. It does. But I don't know, man. I just don't think that game really works today in this age of baseball. Unless you're Rich Hill. You know, Unless you're Rich Hill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, too, is like it can – but you still got to locate. And it's not as if he had, like, had great control or command of it. So I, I, I mean, I'll just say this. Part of me is with you. It's always you, know, you get a little bit nervous, right? Because the Pirates have not been good at turning those guys into like good pitchers, right? Like they haven't been the pitching factories other teams are. Not like, I mean, back in the day, obviously when Sierra was in his highlights, you know, and people were coming in here and Pirates are turning all kinds of pitches around. It's, it's, that's long and far ago. So you do get nervous when like another team scoops up someone and you're like, okay, 
what do they see? Um, but I think I'm more on Jesse on this sense. It's like, I mean, he maybe he turns around again, not Corbin Burns. He doesn't have the stuff as Corbin Burns. Maybe he turns it around as, as a major league pitcher. I mean, that could be a positive, but I, I like, I'm with you in the sense of he doesn't have the stuff that I feel like this is a guy that you can like, these are the traits he has. We can, we do this and this with him. He can be a front end or even middle, you know, the rotation kind of guy. Um, but regardless, like I said, I look at it and he was DFA'd, which made all the sense in the world. Pirates got cash. I mean, it's actually a trade. Again, I felt like a waiver claim for anything. Yeah. Apparently, there was actually other teams after him. The Brewers in division made a trade and, and gave the cash up. So I guess I look at it as a big whatevs to me, ultimately. Um, just more or less probably just depth for them. All it cost was some cash, right? Right. He'll probably get debated by the end of the beginning of the regular season of the year. Well, that's how it's been with everybody who's been claimed from the Pirates. They've been on 17 other teams since then anyway. So That's a good point. Following the trend. And those were also trades as well. Like Hoy Park was an actual trade. They gave away a person for Hoy Park, and now he's on like his third team since then. <laughs> yeah. So that's a good point also. This is could be really meaningless in the long run. All right. The other news we can kind of talk about, but again, I won't go too deep into it because I'm Brian Reynolds out. But, of course, Mackey's uh, information kind of blew up yesterday about there's about $50 million of disparity in the two sides of Brian Reynolds and the Pirates. Um, so I guess we have now like more of a ballpark number, right? The differences. Right. So I guess what's your thoughts on that? Mind you, moments after Rafael Devers signed a 300 and what $12 yeah. million dollar contract. <laughs> so what's your thoughts on that? Honestly, it could have been worse than 50. Like part of me thinks that's, you know, that's, closer than I thought they would have been. But I mean, at the same time, I, I, I don't blame Reynolds at all for, you know, as stubborn as the pirates are and that they're not, they're adamant that they're not going to trade Reynolds. Now he has a pretty similar attitude in what he's demanding in a contract. And I don't blame either side in either of those positions. And I, I'm at the point where I think that Reynolds, his ploy for demanding a trade was more about the contract than it is about the state of the team. And I, I think he finally reached a point where he knows how much he's worth. He sees what other guys on the market are getting. He saw what Brandon Nimmo got. His agency represents Trey Turner who just got $300 million. So he's seeing what all these guys are getting. And he, I think he's at the point where he knows that's not going, he's not going to get that from the pirates. So he just doesn't want to waste his time anymore. I think it's, um, I'm, I'm not surprised it's about 50 million because I think it's really just more years. I don't think it's like 50 million over the life of the contract. I think it's, he wanted two more years or three more years tacked on and the pirates just don't want to do it. Um, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense for both sides really. Um, but it's hard to see the pirates just let their best player go for $50 million. That's not a lot of money to Bob Nutton. You know what I mean? You got to be able to put something together to keep your best players. Not everybody's going to give you a stupid hometown discount like McCutcheon did, you know? So I think they're going to miss out on an opportunity. And I think he's going to get traded. 
Yeah. Again, I'm not going to go too, too deep on this, but I think it's safe to say that it is a combination of money and years. And, you know, what it comes down to is like, if, if you're just not willing to give up that extra one or two years that he's asking for, for maybe that difference of 50 million or 40 million, you know, whatever it might be in that sense. I'm just like, why? Just, just, just why, you know, people worry about the, the money, like at that age, you know, he's going to be 35 years old. Do you want to give a guy 20, $25 million that age and stuff? And it's just like, you see, like, does the money really matter? Like the contracts you're talking, like the contracts you see today that were signed 10 years ago, right? They're like nothing now. And, and that's like, that's, that's how it exists. Like inflation happens and stuff and it just keep going. And yeah, like when he's 35 years old, okay. You know what? For one thing, the Pirates are going to be probably their next rebuild. Like this is how you capitalize on that window. And when he's older, they're probably the next rebuild anyway. So he becomes what Kutch could be to this team right now. If Kutch was still on here, right? Maybe he's that leader, that mentor, like, hey, guys, I've actually been through this. Let me help you out. <laughs> and, like, he helps that next rebuild until he's off to the sun. I don't know. Anyways, what I'm kind of getting at is I think it's dumb. I think it's stupid. I think if you kept him around this whole entire time instead of capitalizing on his trade value a few years back to get guys that are ready today – for your, you know, contention window, then you just, you, you make this deal and you sign them and you bite the bullet on this two extra years because you see what the market is. I mean, there's 30 year olds getting 11 years, right? So like if, if your breaking point is we don't want to go more than six or seven with Reynolds, like why? But anyways, I kind of digress. I don't know if you two have any more to say about that. I think that's kind of what makes the trade hard, though, because if the Pirates do want to trade them, they want players that are close to the majors, and I don't think teams want to give that up. You know, you're not going to get two, three top prospects from somebody's double-A, triple-A team. They're really going to essentially be 18-, 19-year-olds, and that's what's going to make the trade very hard for the Pirates because it doesn't make sense for them to get an 18-, 19-year-old. And if they're adamant on getting, like, a top – major league ready or close to ready pitching prospect, then that significantly narrows down the amount of teams who who can match up in a trade. So right. there's only two I'm, or three big dogs out there that you can actually trade for right. to make this team better. So I'm I'm still I mean this is just me. I'm still pretty skeptical that a deal's gonna be done before the start of the season, which worries me a little bit with Mackey also saying that you know he's talking to people who thinks he's not going to play for them at all. He didn't say that that was because they were going to trade him before opening day, which leads me to believe some people just think he's just what he's not going to show up. Is that what people are telling him? There's not a chance that doesn't really happen in baseball. And I don't think Brian Reynolds is that guy in general. Yeah. I just don't see that happening like at all for multiple reasons. I think if there's any reason he's not in a Pirates uniform, it's, it's certainly because he was traded. Right, it just worried me a little bit because that's really not how he worded it. I don't know. I don't think Reynolds is that kind of person either. And with everything, you know, Charrington and Shelton have said since the request came out, they they always said, you know, we're excited to have Reynolds here being our center fielder next year. So I, I just I'm still hoping that's the case if they don't if if he's not traded, I you know, I, I still hope he shows up. Right. One thing that actually does surprise me the most is that I feel like Mackey's tone has changed a lot. Because when Reynolds first said he was looking, he wanted to get out, 
everybody was saying that that's not going to happen. They're not going to trade him. But now he said it's he thinks it's very well going to happen before the season even starts. So I'll say this: I I agree with that, and I think it's it's not Mackey's tone that's changing much. It's no. what he's relaying, and and that's what right. got got me too. You know, I just felt like. It probably makes sense that the Pirates trade Reynolds right now and capitalize on this value because I don't know what they're doing in this window and like what's the point of all this, right? But regardless of that, it seemed like they were set in stone that Brian Reynolds is a pirate. Right. Unless they're blown away. And we see that teams probably aren't blowing them away. So ultimately he's a pirate. And now you see the tone change. And it's like, well, there's people saying that he's not. So it leads me to believe like two things. Two things is maybe their their tone has. And it's like, you know what, guys. We've we've rethought this. The extension's not happening, and the more and more we think about it, it makes sense to trade them. Or the other one being that there's some real smoke that maybe they are close to something, and maybe they're capitalizing it, and they're going to get that deal done because they are air quotes blown away, but whatever that offer you know might be. So yeah, I will say that I'm I'm kind of intrigued that the tone change and rather quickly as well. I mean, really within the month of December. Yeah. All right, so let's get on. So you guys uh, each brought a topic. So let's go ahead and do that. Um, I'll do like you did before. Pick a number between one and seven. Jesse? Three. And Ethan? Four. Okay, I told you, Jesse, you are on the show last time. Too. I said it's always four. So, Ethan, you win. It's four. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't want to go first. You dumb, dumb. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ethan. Uh, go ahead and bring up your topic, and we'll discuss it. All right. So... The last time I was on, I spent a lot of time talking about O'Neill Cruz. And this time, the player that I'm going to talk about is O'Neill Cruz again. And well, I like I the mean, diversity. <laughs> I mean, it's O'Neill Cruz. He's he's so special. I get it. Um, and the last time you were on, we also talked about Brian Reynolds, right? So, I mean, right. that's, that's the 2023 offseason for you. That's pretty much what the Pirates have at this point anyway. Um, so... The, what prompted me wanting to dig into this topic was uh, Derek Shelton at the winter meetings. And when he did his press conference, you know, a lot of the questions he got were about Reynolds and the players they've added and stuff. But somebody asked him what he wanted, like specifically what he was looking for O'Neill Cruz to work on in winter ball. And Shelton said he was looking for consistency in regards to the pitches that he swings at and the pitches that he doesn't swing at, which I mean, that seems kind of obvious as something a baseball player should be good at. But I I, uh, I looked into it a little bit, and it's a lot more drastic for O'Neill Cruz than I think people realize. So this is going to be a little numbers heavy, but bear with me. I think we can do it. All right, let's do it. So everybody obviously talks about the strikeout rate last year, which was 34.9% which is higher than any qualified hitter in the league. But it was ju- it was only just under 27% against right-handed pitching, which is like it's that's manageable. It's below league average but not by much. Like you can work with 27%. Against lefties it was over 53%. So it was almost double that. Over half the time he faced a left-handed pitcher he struck out. And the main culprit was low and away breaking pitches against left-handed pitching. So the raw number of pitches that he was thrown by lefties last year was 115, 
which is five off of the major league leader, which was Matt Olson. Keeping in mind, Cruz made a season debut on June twentieth. Right. Yeah, well, he was five off of. He was, he was not five off of the rock. league leader. Right. <laughs> Michael Harris was second in the total number of swings and misses on those pitches with twenty six. O'Neill Cruz had twenty one more than Harris. He had forty seven swings and misses on those pitches, which like basically laps the field. And uh twenty four percent was the total number of pitches that he was thrown by left handed pitchers that were low and away breaking balls. So one out of every four pitches from a lefty was a breaking ball in the dirt. If you look at that same percentage for either left on left or right on right, the next highest total was 18.7%, which I probably don't have to tell you, but it's Javi Baez. So that's like that's like <laughs> winning sense. the batting title by 55 points, <laughs> except it's not the batting title. Right. So the number of those junk pitches that he was pitched was way more than anybody else. And the rate at which he swung at them was way more than anybody else. So that is the pitches that he swings at. So the pitches that he does not swing at are pitches right down the middle. Um, it, what baseball savant categorizes as the heart of the plate, he was pitched there 21.1% of the time, which is the second lowest in the league behind only Ozzy Albies, which is interesting because baseball savant factors the size of the zone relative to a player's height. And Ozzy Albies is 5'8", and Oneo Cruz is six seven and he's like when he's in the box he's like a tall six seven like he doesn't really slouch in the box so that's a big six seven so his zone is a lot bigger and still nobody ever pitches him there and just looking at that 21 percent of those pitches he swings at those only 56.2 percent which is also the second lowest in the league behind only daniel vogelback who was sub 50 percent i I don't know how that's possible to be sub 50% at swinging at pitches right down the middle, but Vogelback was. So he swings at junk and he watches stuff right down the middle. And so it's, it's not like he is like a lot of young hitters where he's either really, really aggressive or he's too conservative. He's both and at the wrong time. And I'm, Part of the reason why I'm not too worried about Cruz specifically is because it wasn't just an O'Neill Cruz problem in terms of having a bad approach or bad situational hitting last year. The whole team was a mess, which I still think ultimately falls on Andy Haynes, and I can't believe he's coming back next year. But yeah. another reason why, yeah, another reason why I'm not too worried is that it improved as the season wore on after they moved him to the leadoff spot. And so I guess what my discussion point is, is how the pirates should maximize Cruz's abilities in putting him in situations where pitchers have to pitch to him. And that, like I said, it got better when he was in the leadoff spot last year and he was batting in front of Brian Reynolds and not, Jose Godoy and Bly Madris and Josh Van Meter. But 
And I, I think the rationale in moving him to the leadoff spot last year was just we want to shake things up and get him as many reps as possible, which I was totally on board with that last year. But I think Cruz needs to be the two-hitter this year, assuming they keep Reynolds, which like I, said, I hope they do. At this point, for Cruz's sake, I hope they keep Reynolds. They move Cruz and Reynolds down to two and three, and – I know we're not really doing a hot take segment, but if we were, my hot take would be that Carlos Santana should be the leadoff hitter. Either him or Choi, but my preference would be Santana, I think, to take one of those two hitters who is going to see a bump in batting average from the decrease in the shift and who walks a lot. Put one of those hitters ahead of O'Neill Cruz, who was the most efficient at driving in runs last year, even when he was batting leadoff. And when they just had a bunch of nincompoops hitting fifth to ninth every single day, if you have a competent leader or competent hitter in front of him and still have Brian Reynolds behind him, they're going to have to pitch to him. And thus he's going to produce more. So that that's my spiel. I like it. Um, and that's one thing you can, you actually notice watching the game is, how oh, often yeah. he would he would take a pitch, dead center, get you an O2 count, and then swing at that slider down and away. Yep. You know what I mean? But I really think lineup construction wise, I think Cruz's best spot in the lineup would be third. And I think having a veteran of like Choi or Santana hitting right behind him with Reynolds hitting in front of him would actually probably be one of the better ways to construct the lineup. I think give me Santana, Cruz, Reynolds, Choi as a top four. And that's at least competent, which I don't think we were able to say a lot last year. And it's I think so a lot of that. Me. Good. Um, I, I think it depends a lot on Key Brian Hayes also, because he got a really long leash out of like the three spot last year. And part of me thinks they're going to do that again. And I'm I'm really hoping that this is the year he actually learns how to hit. Because he like he if you look at how hard he consistently hits the ball, the names that are like surrounding him are like legitimate sluggers. He just hits the ball the opposite way and straight into the ground all the time. Like even if he just fixes one of those things, then there will be drastic improvements in his production. So I don't know if they're I don't know what the plan is with Hayes in terms of where he's going to hit at the start of the season. Like I said, I feel like since he's such a a key component of the team and they've already committed a bunch of money to him, they're going to throw him in the top. The, I wouldn't say top three. They're probably top four or five. And I'm not convinced that he's earned that at this point. And I think that there are other guys like Sawinski and Rodolfo Castro, who produced at times last year, and we're bringing guys like Santana and Choi, who are probably going to be in those spots too. It, I, I'm just really interested to see how they decide to construct the lineup, especially when it pertains to O'Neill Cruz. I think Hayes should be hitting sixth in the lineup. I think that's a perfect spot for him because he does not hit well, but he can come up clutch. He can drive in a run when you need him. He's not an, he's not Austin Hedges at the plate, but he's also not Brian Reynolds. 
that's what puts him in a tricky spot to put him in the lineup. You know, he honestly, if you really think about it, he could probably be a pretty good nine hitter because he has the speed in the game. He could he can get on base. He can steal you a base. And I would have G1 Bay hitting leadoff. I cannot get behind the slow leadoff hitter. It bothers me, and I get it. It's 2023, but I hated watching Vogelback hit there. And I really think with the shift, the bigger bases, Bay leading off with Reynolds hitting second, Cruz hitting third, and Santana behind him, that's a good lineup. I kind of like the idea of Bay as the nine hitter if he ends up being in the lineup on a routine basis. I don't hate that, but I don't personally understand the pseudo leadoff hitter. Why wouldn't you run him just hit leadoff? You know what I mean? It's not like you have the pitcher to clog up the bases at the nine hole. There's not much of a difference in my opinion to having your fastest guy, the one that's going to be able to steal some bases, hit leadoff. Because getting on base is the most important thing to me out of a leadoff hitter. You don't think Bay gets on base? I mean, throughout his minor league career, he's been a pretty good on base. Sure, he, but he, he hasn't walked. he hasn't proven that in the major leagues yet. I'm not saying he can't. He just hasn't proven it yet, and Carlos Santana has. No doubt. Santana's a great guy to get on base. If he, he's so slow. If he gets his batting average up to even like 230, but maintains the – I think he was 99th percentile walk rate last year. It was something like that. It was, it was elite. That's that's perfectly fine. That's going to get on base, and they're going to have to pitch to Cruz. And that's ultimately what I'm looking for. Yeah, but then you got to go base to base to base to get Santana home. It's going to not if Cody Cruz hits it over the wall. Yeah, but he, he <laughs> that's a good point. It's valid. <laughs> <laughs> but he's not going to hit it over the wall every single time. Think about Just it. Every other time. No, that's true. That'd be great. It doesn't make a huge difference if Santana's on second or third, ultimately. But he's not scoring from second on a base hit up the middle. You Good. know what I mean? He's, he's not. That boy is slow. That's why I wouldn't have G-Man Choi up there either. Cruz would be my third option for leadoff against a right-handed pitcher. Yeah, I get it. Ultimately, getting on base is the most important thing to me. I don't call me Moneyball or whatever. I don't care how he gets on base as long as he gets on base. That's what I'm looking for. That's valid. So here's what I'll say to all this. And I think this is what makes this team different than last year. Thank God. But you actually see like there's options in this lineup as far as construction goes that we're talking about. Because I'm with all of you. I could absolutely see Santana in the leadoff spot and I'd be perfectly okay with it. Uh, I mean, I I go back. We were touting Cervelli should be batting leadoff all those years. Mm. Like I was all for Cervelli being a leadoff hitter back then uh like the speed guy batting leadoff just isn't <coughs> the thing like it doesn't have to be now it'd be great if your guy who gets on base is also fast right that, that would be very elite and that's why you have him bat leadoff but like it doesn't have to be your fastest guy batting leadoff the guy gets on base and maybe some speed in there too would be nice so i'll say this though i think ideally you would want Cruz in a position that he's going to get rbi so like your two or three hitter right that would make a lot of sense but like what makes Cruz unique he has that elite speed also. Right. Um, and then I'm not saying there is a comfort level, but obviously he, he performed in the, in the leadoff slot last year. Right. So he has that on him. And like, do I want to maybe tinker with that right now? Like I'm a little nervous on Dwight. He, it worked. 
So maybe it just works. And with hit working there, Bay, you're talking about that pseudo leadoff. I like that because it's like, so Cruz is getting the most at bats on the team, which is probably good for his development, probably good for the team, especially if Reynolds isn't there. He has elite speed. So like he is that leadoff guy that can do the, you know, the speed, but then he gets put in, in RBI positions potentially if, if Bay is that guy, right? If he is producing in the MLB like he did in the minors and he's getting on base here and there. So I like the idea of Cruz at leadoff still, but I also am perfectly okay with like a Santana batting leadoff and such. But again, I think ultimately what it comes down to is this team has options this year, which is nice to see. It's not where it's going to be Cruz, Reynolds, Hayes, and then good luck. <laughs> it's, right. it's a hodgepodge of nothingness. So that not that this lineup's going to be good by any means, right? But like at least there's options and you can see some competency forming. And it's gotten a lot deeper compared to last year. Like one through six, I'm not that scared of. You know what I mean? Seven, eight, nine, that's up in the air because Austin Hedges right. is an awful hitter. Hayes is yes. not a great hitter. But like, I'm not afraid of Swinsky up there. I'm not afraid of G Man Choi, Carlos Santana. Like one through six, you could actually be decent. Right. Which and is important. Castro. Like, like that's the thing. Like there's, it's going to be interesting to see the development and like how they do perform the season. But, I'm more intrigued on seeing Castro, if he'll develop, and Sawinski, how he'll do, than Josh Van Meter and Pat Lowe and Yoshi, everyone else, right? So, uh, so yeah. So, with that being said, uh, I, I'm with you guys. I I'm not too worried about Cruz either. Um, but as far as the lineup goes, there are some some definitely options. So, Jesse, you brought a topic as well, correct? Yes. Let's hear it. It's probably a little early for my topic, but oh boy, <laughs> the 2023 draft. Okay, I want to talk about it because I feel like everybody wants Dylan Cruz. I know it's early, but I really feel like this is their opportunity to get that ace. I think you have to go with Chase Dahl in their number one overall pick. Dude is filthy. They say he's. MLB pipeline said he's probably the best pitching prospect they've seen in the draft since Garrett Cole or Steven Trostberg. And we don't have that anywhere in the system. There's not a guy that's ever going to anchor this rotation and they are never going to spend the money to get an anchor. Um, Dylan Cruz is going to be a fun player, but he's an outfielder. You can find those anywhere. I think you got to take your big swing and go for Chase Dallander. And he can be up in a couple of years. He's already in college. Sign me up. Put him on it. This is a topic and a hot topic, I think, all in one. Ethan, <laughs> let's hear it, buddy. Yeah, I definitely think the number one pick is not written in pen at this point by any means. Um, I'm I'm not a draft expert at all. Um, my my thoughts at this point, I think, are that it's largely going to depend on how the prospects play in the first half of the season. If we see one of the pitching prospects like Priest or Burroughs or Ortiz or even lower level guys like Solometo, if somebody takes like a big step, then I don't think they're going to be under as much pressure to take a pitcher. And at the same time, if Dylan Cruz, you know, hits like everyone thinks he's going to hit, then you're not going to be able to pass up on that. If there's 
I think in the in the baseball draft, if it gets a little dicey, if you try to draft like for position of need. So I, if they really think that Dollander is the best player in the draft, by all means, that's fine. But if you're taking him just to take a pitcher, then that would concern me a little bit, especially if Dylan Cruz is who people think Dylan Cruz is. Yeah, but I don't feel like people are talking about Dylan Cruz like he's the next Bryce Harper. You know, I don't think they're talking about him like he's going to be that guy in the in your lineup forever. But they're talking about Chase Dollander like he could be. You know what I mean? I'd rather them take the chance and go get him. Even I mean, I get it. There's a lot of injury risk when it comes to a pitcher. I don't care. Go after him and get your opportunity at a stud pitcher. And don't – please, God, do not play it safe this year. Do not go and get the mm. number five guy in this draft. Right. Yeah, we are way I, too close to be loading the system with single-way prospects. Right. What Charrington did in that draft was, like, even at the time I said that was, like, one of the most impressive things I've, like, ever seen a GM do. The fact that no, he no. not only got all those guys, but he ended up signing all of them was ridiculous. And that was what the system needed at the time. But, yeah, I think they're past the point where – they're going to try to get cute with their money and try to, you know, shovel things around and stuff. And I think they proved that when they took Tamar Johnson last year, it was pretty clear that he was the top player on the board at that point. Right. So the fact that they, they had a pretty clear top guy and they went out and got that guy instead of trying to get cute. Right. I, I think they're going to operate under the same way this year. So, but what if there's three guys that are all around the same? So like Dylan Cruz, Chase Dollander, and then there's that Wyatt Langford, the outfielder, all in the same general 60 future value type of player. And I'm just scared that Langford's going to be like, oh, I'll cut a deal to be the number one overall pick. And then they do it again. You know what I mean? I could still mm-hmm. see them doing that. I hope I'm wrong, but I could still see Charrington saying this is an opportunity to just load the system. And at the same time, too, going back to the Cruz versus Dollander thing. If they trade Reynolds, what other real outfield, like legitimate outfield talent is there? I feel like you can find that. You can throw Castro in the outfield. You can throw Bay in the outfield. You know, it's not swaggerty, that's for sure. Right. Um, they could always get their second round pick in the draft. They could always get a college outfielder. I just feel like outfielders. They fall off trees, man. You can find them anywhere and be productive. Not They're not going to be at the level of Reynolds, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But you can find enough productivity in the outfield where it's going to be a lot harder to find a top-of-the-rotation starter for this team. Right. But, like, at, at the same time, if when it comes draft time, if those two are, the t- like, the consensus top two and either they have traded Reynolds by then or they're – dead set on trading him by the deadline and they have a top outfielder just sitting in their laps that's going to make it harder I think for them to pass on him even if there's also a really good pitcher there okay. I'm not advocating for either side I'm just saying it's, I think that's a factor also without a doubt but that's why you get the outfielder in the Reynolds trade draft the pitcher yeah, like I'll say this. This is always a great debate. And I think like for right now, as you preference it, like it is just way too early to 
based on the information today, right, that we have, we can debate this, right? But like, if there's anything, especially Pirates fans, that like the Kumar Rocker situation taught us, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like things can certainly change when it matters. But they're clearly having these discussions internally right now, right, based on the information and what they're going with. But like, I'm, I'm with you. Like, I see both sides of this. For the Pirates to get that top guy, like the ace, there's probably two ways they can go about it right now. It's a Reynolds trade to get to get one back. But like you mentioned earlier in the show, right, it's a very limited amount of teams that have that that are even willing to do it, right? Or it's going to be in the draft. So, you know, that could be the play. But like I'm with you too. You have the number one pick especially. Unless they're like neck and neck. And you feel like either or is the number one guy. It, it's much like the the Henry Davis draft, right? Where like really five guys you could be okay with going number one. So it come down to like, well, who's going to take less money than Charrington did what he right. did? And like even like right today, I know Her- like Henry Davis had some injuries and such, but like all all those guys except for oddly enough the pitcher, <laughs> uh, like they've been producing. You know, I, the Pirates I feel like would been comfortable with any any one of those guys they selected, and you know like. Well, Lawler's producing, um, Marcelo's producing, you know, Henry Davis, you can talk about, but like when he's healthy, he was producing. Um, I think he's going to be a good hitter and such, but you know, I think they've been comfortable with any one of them. And like, if it's neck and neck and you want to go with the pitcher because of the need, and that's your way of getting an ace for sure. But like, I'm with you too. Like if it's the number one pick and by this time, you know, the draft comes up next year, if, if the guy's the guy at the top, you got to go with him. I don't care if it's the outfielder or not. If he's the clear, better player, like I just feel like you have to, but it could be at that point of time the pitcher, right. and you go with them. Like you just don't, you don't mess this one up, unless right, unless like there's three guys that just like all three of them are the same, then might come down to this money. But anyways, I feel like we'll be talking about this for the next six months. Oh yeah, <laughs> I hope so. I'm excited because that's also what happens when you win the number one overall pick. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Winners. So you get to talk about this for the next six months. But anyways, all right, awesome. So anything else you guys wanted to add to that? No. All right. So something I thought to talk about, because again, being Reynolds out and you know, it's like this whole offseason you talk about Cruz because he's fun, or you talk about Reynolds because he's the topic. So I thought maybe we get a little bit interesting because it really isn't much a whole lot like news to, to discuss, but Something that's kind of been on my mind, right? And it kind of deals with Reynolds to a degree. But this Pirates rebuild, like when's this window of contention going to really start? When are they really going to compete? You know, the NL Central has not been good for the most part. So, like, you felt like maybe the Pirates should push on the accelerator a little bit to get this thing going, but they really haven't. Now, you know, the St. Louis Cardinals are good. They're always good. You know, Yachty retires and they just go and add Wilson Contreras. So, yeah, that's nice. Um, the Cubs, you see, like, they're pushing on the accelerator. They have money to spend. They're spending it. So this rebuild, air quotes, they have isn't really there. Like, they're, they're already better than the Pirates are. They're still spending money. The Brewers, you know, we can discuss on them. They don't have a whole lot of payroll obligations in the future. They're usually a pretty good team, too. Cincinnati Reds, we see they're, they're falling off. So let's fast forward to 2025. Put yourself, it's the year 2025. I kind of want your viewpoint on what you think the NL Central is, like where the teams stack up, where the Pirates stack up against the other teams too, to kind of talk like where this rebuild is headed and like what is this future of contention going to look like? 
So I'll start. Um, to be honest, the one team in the division that scares me the most in the year 2025 is actually the Cincinnati Reds. I feel like they've done a very good oh. job. Yeah, not easy to say. I feel like they've done a very good job with the trades they've made. They've gotten the top tier type of talent in pretty much all the trades they've made, <laughs> which I feel like is opposite of how we've done things. You know, we didn't really have a ton to trade from when Charrington was here, like a ton of top tier talent to trade from, but they scare me a little bit only because I feel like their system has gotten a lot better very fast. The Cubs don't scare me a bit. I know they'll spend money, but I feel like they're not spending it that well. I think Dansby Swanson's not that great of not that great of a player. Um, I think they wasted seventeen and a half million dollars on Cody Bellinger, um, and I don't think they their farm is very good. And they still have they still have to build the core of that team through the farm system. The Cardinals are always going to be at the top, but the Brewers will definitely be in last place. They cannot pay Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, and Peralta the money that they're going to want. They're not a big market team. They're going to have to start trading those players away sooner rather than later. And I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up trading Burns at this deadline and maximizing his value. Um, I think in 25, I think we'll be in good shape depending on what we get back for Reynolds in the trade that is going to happen sooner rather oh. than later. Oh, it's a hundred percent. It's a hundred percent going to happen. I think their best bets to wait until the deadline. Um, Cause I think teams are going to be a lot more desperate and I don't think they're that desperate this year. Um, and I think whatever they can do in the draft this year is going to be very important because I think whoever it is, as long as they go college, that player is going to be on this team and hopefully making a run at the playoffs. I'm never going to say a division title because I really don't know if I'll ever see one in my lifetime, but the playoffs and I feel, and I'm very excited because I got rid of the one card, the one game wild card, even though it's a lot of fun to watch, it sucks from our point of view. Because if that was a three game series against the Cubs, right, (laughs) and and it and it would have been a lot more fun if we had faced Madison Bumgarner or Jake Arrieta. If that's a three game series both rounds, who knows what happens? Because I think we had a better pitching staff than both teams, but we just didn't get that luck. And I think a three game series will help that a lot. And because the way it's constructed, the Pirates would have been at home for all three games. Correct. So, um, in terms of the other teams in the NL Central, I largely agree. I'm not as high on the Reds, and I think some other guys are further away, number one. And number two, they, in my mind, have a similar issue with the Cubs in that they suck at spending money. (laughs) They Don't spend it wisely, that's for sure. Right. They, I don't know how much longer they have Joey Votto, but they're paying him a ton of money right now. They just DFA'd Nick, uh, not Castellanos, uh, Mike Moustakis. They gave Castellanos a ton of money and then he opted out. So like every time they've given somebody like a lot of money, it hasn't gone well. I worry about their pitching 
outside of Hunter Green. It, I think Hunter Green is like as talented as they get. So I, I think he's going to end up being able to put it together for the most part. But outside of that, I I don't think there's a ton there. Um, I'm not super scared of the Cubs either for basically all the reasons you said. Um, Cardinals, yeah, the Cardinals are always good. And they still have like really young pieces who either ha- have barely contributed or haven't contributed at all yet. So the Cardinals, yeah, the Cardinals are always going to be there. The Brewers, I think it could get uglier for the Brewers even faster. Like they traded Josh Hader while they were in a playoff spot last year. If we get to, you know, early July and they're hovering around 500, it could be Corbin Burns. It could be Brandon Woodruff. It could be Willie Adamas. It could be any veteran on that team with a pulse who gets traded. Except Yelich. Except for Yelich. He's too expensive and not very good anywhere. Yeah. And part of me thinks Adamus is going to go at the deadline, if not before. Part of me still thinks, like, in the spring, they could trade Adamus and or one of the pitchers. So, yeah, I don't think the Brewers are going to be a big threat in, what, 25? Um, Part of me wants them to just tell Reynolds to suck it up. If they are serious about being good next year, if you think you are a legitimate, legitimate contender in 2025, then tell them to stick it out and see if you can win a World Series in 25. I know that sounds crazy because it seems... You know, like you said, you you said it's 100% that they're going to trade him. I honestly believe that the state of the farm is good enough that they still have pieces to be good in 25 if they commit to continuing to add to it. And if you think you are a legitimate title contender in 2025, you hold on to him. Okay. And I think that's the decision they have to make and we'll find out which one they go with <laughs> but it's, it's interesting hearing your two talk about this right and and one of you is more or less including Brian Reynolds on the team and the other one is without um so just to to back up what you're talking about with Votto just so you know uh so 2023 is his last year 24 years club option so I assume they're just not going to pick that up in 24 so this year is probably his last year on the team uh but if any, 2024, then he's certainly off the books at that point in time. So it's not too much longer until he's off and, you know, it frees up some stuff. Um, what I'll say this, and, like, the Cincinnati one, like, I was very – I was very puzzled by, like, this last rebuild by them, like, what they did. Like, I don't even, like – it wasn't, like, really even a re- rebuild. They right. kind of sold off, and they, they really accelerated, and they, they put a bunch of pieces on the team, and it didn't make a whole lot of sense because, of, like, they didn't have this core that was really there for them to do it. And like at the time I said, like, I'll, I'll hand it to them. Like I will never fault anyone for a will to win, you know, however you want to do it. It is going to make sense, but ultimately like it has to, and it didn't work. So that was bad. But at any rate, 
I don't know if like I can compare that time. It's like the future, like how you talk about like you don't spend money wisely. Like I, I don't know if that's true the case. Like this last time didn't make a whole lot of sense, but like the Reds were pretty nasty beforehand too. I mean the Pirates, you know, they were in that division where the Reds were. I mean, there's a reason why Quaid was on the mound and dropped it, you know, because the team was good. So that's intriguing though. Like, but it also also makes me nervous and worried. It's like, so the Reds just kind of started this rebuild more recently and like it's going to be 2025 and the Pirates and the Reds will be neck and neck but like to Jesse's point and that's what we talk about too like the the prospects are getting back in these trades you're like that was a good trade that made a lot of sense like look at this talent but for some reason like when the Pirates make it you're looking at Charrington like well I don't know about that (laughs) so uh yeah anyways so I want your takes then stack the division 2025 where does everyone end up one through five Okay, I'll go first. Cardinals, Pirates, Reds, Cubs, Brewers. I hate the Cardinals because every time they make a trade, they don't give up a single good prospect in their system. And I'm over it, but they're still going to be at the top of the the division. At that point, I'm hoping Andy is already a star. Cruz stops swinging at the slider down away. And Chase Dahlander is leading this team in the playoffs. The Reds are going to get a wild card spot, but they're going to lose to us at home. And the Cubs are going to have 70-some wins and be far out of it. And the Brewers are going to stink because they, they are not going to be able to handle they, – they paid Yelich. As soon as they paid him, he started sucking, and they're going to have to get rid of Burns and Woodruff soon. And their farm system, other than Jackson Churio – is not very good. And they've never really had a great farm system. That's not something they're typically good at. I was leaning that same order, uh, but just to be different, I'll say the Reds aren't there quite yet in 25 and switch them and the Cubs. But in general, that's basically how I feel too. Cool. I like it. So I think we're all on board. The Cardinals are just there because, of course. Because they but, never uh, aren't. <laughs> right. But yeah, uh, Paul Goldschmidt, Nolan like, Arenado, man, that's hard to beat. They gave up peanuts. Everybody says Pirates make bad trades. They literally gave up peanuts for Paul Goldschmidt and Nolan Arenado. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's one <clears throat> less competent front office in baseball than the Pirates, it's the Rockies. definitely the Rockies. So We appreciate them. like when the team literally doesn't even have an analytics department because they all left (laughs) right i don't know what they're doing i've never known what they're doing they signed chris bryant and then that's it we're now good but anyways i like it's a pirate second one of you with brian reynolds one without but with a stud pitcher from the draft I don't think you, I don't think it actually changes that timeline that much. Losing Reynolds, I really don't. I, I, think I don't either. But you would have enough. to keep them throughout the entire time. And again, right. like that's just not the Pirates' mo. So they would have to buck that trend and do it and be satisfied with a comp pick for him. And I don't know right. if they're comfortable in doing that, but we'll find out. Right. I still think the most important thing there is. This was something else that Mackie said recently was that he thinks that they're going to be 
I, I think what he said was like shopping in a different part of the store or something yeah. next year. If that's actually a thing, then I think that's going to be what inevitably gets them over the hump, I think. Because I think it's pretty well established that the farm's in pretty good shape, but you can't just bank on that. You need the Burnett's and the Lirianos and the Russell Martins. And it's just a matter of whether or not this front office can find those guys. Yeah, but what part of the store is that? Is that where the Mets are, fit, are shopping? Or are we over where like the Twins and the Brewers who haven't spent a dollar this offseason are shopping? You know what I mean? Like, is it just adding a player on a two-year deal or a three-year deal at $12 million a year? Because I would rather them not do that. Just spend a bunch of money on one player. I don't want you to spend $5 million on seven players when you could just take that $35 million for a year and put it towards something that's actually going to make a difference. They need to shop at the same store that Atlanta shops at, where they just make up whatever contract they want and they just get him to sign it. <laughs> they, have black, they, they have blackmail on every single they, player. Or right. Something. They just tell. Like I don't Atlanta's know. Like doing. they walk to the convenience store and like, hey, they just take the candy, right? And they just put money on the counter and walk away. And the guy's like, I guess that's how much it's costing. Because Atlanta just yeah. tells you what you're getting paid. And yeah. for some reason they say, Okay, thank you. Yeah, the only person that they ever actually paid like a ridiculous amount of money to is Austin Riley. And he's not getting paid over a hundred million dollars less than what Devers just got. Yeah, I don't know how like, they do it. it. it and I really wish sense. there was something we could do. Because that's unbelievable. They have what yeah. 10, 9 or ten players locked up now. Yeah, for nothing. Albies is literally making like just... they they extended Matt Wilson and Sean Murphy before they even played for the Braves. Yeah, like as soon as they traded for them, they had cheap extensions ready. It doesn't make sense. They walked in the building and they're like, "Here's your jersey. Sign this new contract. Yep, get on the field." It's unbelievable. Yeah. That's the store I want the pirate shopping at next year. <laughs> But well, they're not spending a lot of money, so they should be able to. You know what I mean? I mean, Atlanta is a huge market, but they're not spending $200, 200000000 million on every player. You know, They're getting them to buy in, and that's what Charrington needs to do is get the players to buy in. And if they actually locked so up Reynolds – develop a culture? Yes. <laughs> if they actually signed Reynolds, I'm here to tell you it's going to make all the other extensions that much easier because you see Hayes gets locked up. You see Reynolds getting locked up. Keller is going to sign an extension. Cruz could sign an extension. But if you're only going to lock up Hayes for the cheap amount of money that you're paying them, everyone else is like, well, then I'll just leave. And you have like two seconds to get it done with O'Neill Cruz. Because if he ends up being O'Neill Cruz, then he's out of their price range like immediately. Yeah. So they have to get that done like yesterday. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. He's not going to take a hometown discount. I, I just want to, I just want to phrase this, just because you say that, and this irritates me. And I know why you're saying it, and I, I, I get it, and I agree. But he's not out of the price range. They, they could just simply pay him because he's still under all these RBRs and pre-RBRs that it's still going to be cheap. I, again, like look at Wander. The Tampa Bay Rays gave Wander 180 million dollars. You, you can't tell me that the Pirates can't buck up a 120 deal for O'Neill Cruz or whatever it might be. You know what I mean? But anyways, I'm not going to get into that. Um, but the whole shopping thing, like I will say, and hopefully maybe we'll get some more clarity from him uh, in the future here, but I, I don't doubt like what Mackie passes along. 
Not it's just I'm, and I think a lot of us that watch the Pirates and in tune with the Pirates want to understand what they mean when they talk about shopping at a different part of the store. Because you're right, you can say that, and and technically they might be, but they've moved from the ninety nine cent bin to the dollar dollar ninety nine cent bin, and it's like okay, well that that doesn't mean much, <laughs> right? So it's not that I'm doubting that they are going to do that next year, but at what level? That's what we're all waiting and seeing for. Um, so I guess we're just going to have to unfortunately wait and see. But uh, I I'm appreciate that. The though. money that they saved all these years not spending a dollar was actually part of the plan. Not spending a lot of money and hopefully being able to move that over to next year or the year after. That's what that's, they, I'm pretty sure that's, that's what he said that. originally, didn't he? He said, we're not going to spend a lot of money early on because we're going to have that those funds later on down the road. And I want I want them to show us that. Don't I, I need them to show before I can buy it. <laughs> that that's just where I'm at. It goes back. I mean, Nutting more or less talked about how I mean he's just irritated with the the, the meadows, like the whole front office. It seems like the words that came out of Nutting the the one only time you ever heard him talk about stuff was there might be a change in heart for him, but it was followed up with off seasons <laughs> of what we've seen nothing so right you have to show it to me you have to you know because the thing is too they didn't show it before right you, you thought they were saving up and they did spend more i mean i'm not down they didn't spend more I mean, they got a hundred million dollar payroll right i mean they did but it wasn't like enough and that was 10 years ago at this point you know what i mean and like- well right so it's like they're they're doing even worse. Like I feel like they're spending even worse now during the bad times. So it's like, are they going to invest it? Right. It didn't seem like they invested it. And that was the issue. Uh, right. And on top of that, hundred million dollars is nothing these days. So like, that's the thing too. I'm not praising this team, if they get to 100 to 125 because that's the entry to play baseball these days. You know, when the Marlins are having a 125, 140, when Tampa Bay is having a $140 million payroll, like that's just being able to play baseball in 2023. So you're not getting any pats on the backs for $100 million payroll today. There's, what, four teams that are projected to be under $100 million this year? Like, that's, that's literally nothing. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I'm intrigued to find out what the part of the store that is next year. But at any rate, um, good talk about 2025. We're almost about an hour in. So are there any last words that you guys want to talk uh, I don't think so. I mean, there probably is, but then it's going to be a two-hour show. So, <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Well, okay then. Well, then let's wrap this thing up. So I appreciate you both coming on here. Great talk. And uh, with everyone else, we'll see you all later. Bye-bye.